Coming up on Stu Does America, Will Witt tells us how we can break through to those on the left who aren't completely lost, like all eight of them. We'll get to all of them tonight. Uh, I unlock a crucial conspiracy surrounding the mayor of San Francisco and her concert-going habits. And has anyone seen a Black Lives Matter protests lately? Any riots? Any burning buildings anywhere? Bueller? Bueller? Let's get to the bottom of this mystery as we do the disappearance of BLM. Stu does America. Oh, where have you gone, BLM? Black Lives Matter, where art thou? There's been a lot of missing person reports in the news lately. I don't know if you've noticed that. Perhaps someone should put BLM on the back of a milk carton. I I think it's time. Where are they? Angela Washington, an African-American mother of four from Washington, D.C., who was only 41 years old, was found dead on Tuesday. She had been shot and killed as part of the increasing crime wave that has hit Washington, D.C. and the rest of the country. From 2019 to 2020, murder rose by 20 percent in D.C., and this year is up another 12 percent. And unlike many of these stories that get into the news, There's no argument about whether the shooting was justified or not. There's no big disagreement. By all reports, this black woman was killed for no good reason in a police-involved shooting. So, where's BLM? Where'd they go? I'm missing them. I mean, I know Black Lives Matter so much to them. Where have they gone? Where are all the protests? Oddly, when you Google BLM and Angela Washington, you get multiple stories about BLM and Angela Davis. Angela Davis, of course, was on the FBI most wanted list for allegedly plotting to break her murderous boyfriend out of court and eventually ran for president under the Communist Party USA banner twice. It's easy to find BLM articles with Angela Davis, but not Angela Washington. I wonder why. Now, it could be that the BLM founder uh, had to resign in disgrace, and maybe the media just doesn't know who to call anymore. Patrice Cullors left the organization in May of this year, according to the BBC, after, quote, the New York Post reported that Ms. Cullors, a self-described Marxist, had bought a $1.4 million luxury home in Topanga Canyon near Malibu and owned three other homes, including a custom ranch in Georgia. Sounds pretty nice. One other quick side note from the story uh, from the BBC that some might find a little interesting. After raising $80 million, quote, the grieving parents of Michael Brown and Breonna Taylor, two African-Americans whose deaths at the hands of white police officers were often cited by Black Lives Matter, last month reportedly complained the organization had done nothing to help them. (laughs) With headlines like that, I guess I would disappear too. But I'm not sure... It's only the scandal of the founder that has made BLM disappear. As shocking as this might sound to some, I think part of the reason might just be politics. As you may be aware, most of the energy behind BLM last year had a little something to do with Donald Trump and a campaign that happened to be going on for president of the United States. When Trump was president, every incident when a local police force did anything justified or not, 
to an African-American. It was blamed on Trump. Trump was responsible. The buck stops with Trump. Trump was setting the tone for incidents like this. But you know what? I got to be honest with you again. I don't think it's all politics either. It could be that the BLM choice of causes just doesn't interest the media anymore. Why? Because BLM doesn't like vaccine mandates. As Newsweek notes, vaccine mandates put Black Lives Matter activists on collision course with Democrats. Oh, no. Here's the problem. Black Lives Matter don't want their black life forcefully operated by someone who's like a white dolt like Bill de Blasio, at least when it comes to vaccines. They are among the most vaccine hesitant. And this is a big problem. BLM is essentially the activist arm of the anti-racism movement. The academic arm, represented by author and of anti-racist baby and all-around insane person Ibram X. Kendi, wants to push through a constitutional amendment creating a Department of Anti-Racism TM. He wrote that the department, quote, would be responsible for pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policies to ensure they won't yield racial inequity. Got it? We would essentially abandon our constitutional republic and structure of government and create an agency that would take every law passed, local or national, and say if it's okay or not, based solely on the opinion of unappointed anti-racism experts. God help us. But importantly, it's the standard here. The standard is not intent. It doesn't matter if your intent with a law is to squash minorities. No, no. It's just whether the law might create a result that is unequal for them. I bring you back to the vaccine mandates. Hawk Newsom, the founder of BLM of Greater New York, had something to say about mandating a vaccine. Quote, Newsom pointed to the recent data showing that less than half of the city's black residents between the ages of 18 and 44 are vaccinated. That means that you're excluding a tremendous amount of black New Yorkers from engaging in everyday actions, he said. Yeah, that's kind of what the policy does. I remember when racism looked a lot like keeping African-Americans out of restaurants. Now, New York City has passed a law that bans more than half of young black people from going to all restaurants. And that's not racist? Really? BLM says it is. And this is leading to the media suddenly finding a tremendous amount of disinterest in BLM's claims of racism. But honestly, I don't even think this entirely explains the situation with Angela Washington. Even with all of this, you would still think that the alleged murder in a police-involved shooting of a 41-year-old black mother of four would create at least a tiny amount of interest from BLM. But no. Where is BLM? What's the problem here? I'll tell you what the problem is. Sure, it was a police-involved shooting, but Angela Washington was the police. She was shot nearby the housing complex that she was paid to protect. So, BLM doesn't care. The media doesn't care, because Angela Washington wore a uniform. 
Angela Washington was technically a special police officer, which gave her the right to be armed and gave her the right to arrest, but her jurisdiction was limited to this particular troubled apartment complex. She was fighting to protect people. So no one is protesting for Angela Washington. No one is asking you to say her name. No one seems to care at all. Because instead of being someone who robbed a convenience store or someone who was assaulting a woman at the time they were shot, Angela Washington was on the other side of the law. She was trying to enforce it. And that kind of black life just doesn't seem to matter. If you're trying to buy or sell a home these days, it can be a big challenge, a massive challenge. Anything to do with real estate in this market right now, you better be doing it right. Because if you mess something up these days, it can cost you thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, who knows? That's why you need a real estate agent who is going to come in and take charge. Someone who understands the market, someone who can look at your home and say, see that, that, you know, that thing over there, you need to fix that. But this one over here, it's not worth it. That's a huge, huge thing when you're coming to uh, close on a house. Do you paint a bunch of rooms? You know, a lot of times they'll tell you, don't bother. The people are gonna come in and paint the house the color they want anyway, save the cash, and uh, don't, you don't have to worry about changing the price in this market because it's such a strong market. On the other hand, if you're buying, you need to know what to look for. You better have a good real estate agent to help you work through the entire transaction to the very end. The name says it all, Real Estate Agents I Trust. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the person to, to navigate you through whatever real estate transaction, whether you're buying or you're selling, you need someone on your side. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, the first time in studio, Will Witt. He's a host of PragerU and author of the brand new book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and humor, make sure you pick up your copy as soon as you can. Will, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me on, man. It's good to finally actually be here in the studio versus on a horrible Wi-Fi connection <laughs> on Zoom. I'm, I'm, def I'm definitely done with COVID technology. Yes, I am too. Trying to definitely. talk to people on Zoom and have meetings, I'm uh -huh. completely done with it. Do the masks count as COVID technology? Yes, they do. we can be done with that too, definitely. that'd be great. That would be great. Yeah. Um, I wanna go into the book, uh, it's, it's out now, mm -hmm. and yep. I really like your approach. I'm interested in your approach here because I think you're hitting on something that conservatism in general has lost. It's, it's the art of persuasion is really important. And I think it used to be the whole point of this, right? Right. You know, we, we would have these conversations about these issues in order to hopefully persuade people to come along with us. And I think along the way, we kind of got into that mode of just like we wanted to get in somebody's face and have a, some sort of moment. That's not the objective of your book. No, the objective of my book is to change people's minds. I mean, that's why I wrote the book. You guys have seen me on you know, on the streets or on campus, wherever it is, talking to people. And I wanted to change people's minds. And so that's why I wrote the book, so that other people can do that too. And it's something interesting you brought up about persuasion is that, you know, I think there is a, a problem with, you know, we talk about the left wanting to be in their safe spaces and the snowflakes and all that, but there seems to be that on the right as well too, mm. where it's like, we wanna, we wanna kinda just dunk on people all the yeah. time. And it's like, that's not what's, what's going to actually bring the country back is just dunking on people all the time. You know, I am a fan of unsafe spaces. 
I know people like the opposite of safe spaces yeah. where the best ideas and the worst ideas come together to find out what really is the idea that we should be going with. Uh, that's really the foundation of PragerU too, where mm -hmm. you work. Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys have done such a great job of being able to break down complicated issues and get them into areas groups of people that wouldn't normally consume them, I think, from, from a conservative, right? Like, you guys explain it in a way that, that, that crushes that divide a little bit, and that's not easy to do. No, it's definitely not, but you know, it, when, when you have someone in a, a position of authority, like the people we have in our five-minute videos for PragerU, like incredibly smart, gifted, and intelligent, well-read people doing it, and it's five minutes long, and it gives you all the basic facts on whatever that p particular topic is, it's really, eye-opening for people. When I was on the left, if people don't know my story, I mean, I was a leftist atheist my entire life. Mm. And then, you know, I, I started getting into conservatism and then I found out about PragerU and I binged watched all of their videos in almost, you know, a week I watched all of them. <laughs> yeah. This was when PragerU had a lot less videos than they do now. <laughs> yeah. Now it would take like a year. Yeah. But back then I went binge watched all of them and it was completely mind-changing. Yeah, I mean, and that's really important. Uh, I think there's, a, there's an element, especially on the online a group of conservatives because I think you're totally right on conservatives want their safe spaces too at times and that's not healthy no. and th but there's a group I think there's a there's a movement maybe uh, as part of the conservative uh, overview um, where people will like they, they look at you as almost like a wuss if you're not just essentially screaming the most uh, the most offensive possible way to communicate your point to the other side, you're 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 uh, you're you're sellout because you don't believe enough in your viewpoint. Is it? Imp I mean, you still have to stand for your values. You're not backing down at all. You just want to get it across in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I I talk about in the book. I mean, what you're just talking about bravery is the most important thing that we need right now. There's no nothing about being a wuss when you're being brave and saying what you really believe in. You don't have to do it in this offensive and overt way like that. You know, you can get your point, and I think you're actually going to get your point across better when you are more open to other people's ideas because when I'm going out and talking to people, I know that I'm trying to change minds, but I'm just as receptive to them as well. I'm open to having my mind changed if maybe they had a good idea. Mm. And so it's we go into arguments or we go into social media and we have a lot of vanity thinking that, oh, we know everything, you know, versus saying, hey, maybe this person on the left has something to teach me. Because even over like this COVID pandemic, you know, I'm obviously a very strong conservative, but there's some things when it comes to uh, some of the economic principles that the left has been talking about that I could maybe say, hey, there are some problems with big business or at least, you know, sure. classical left leftism yeah. and say there's some problems with big business in this country and things that would be considered left. And so I, I, I'm very open to having my mind changed on anything. Hmm. I want to uh, get into this, some of the specifics here in a second, but one of the things you brought up and I think is, is an interesting um, uh, strategy mm -hmm. in that I think conservatives a lot of times think, let me come up with the best point I can come up with and try to convince someone. You emphasize the importance of asking questions right. in the middle of this. Why? Well, because imagine if you're an, you and I are having a conversation, let's say it's about climate change and I come up to you and you don't really know much about it and mm -hmm. I say, why do you, or I say climate change is going to destroy humanity, you know, versus saying, sure. why do you think climate change is going to destroy humanity? And so you eventually can weave in the facts within your questions. And so it's not you changing that person's mind. It's them changing their own mind because they can't answer the questions that you gave them. And so instead of having people on the offensive where they're like, how can I get as many facts across to this person as quickly as possible? It's like, yeah. wait, take a step back. You know, <laughs> wait a second, yeah, yeah. and let's like see what they actually believe. And there's something important there as well when you're talking to people that, like, let's say you're talking about socialism or 
uh, police brutality or capitalism, whatever it is, and make sure when you're starting this, you are on the same playing field with what those things mean. Get the definitions right first. Mm. Say, what is socialism? What is capitalism? What is free healthcare mean to you? Talk to them about that and get the clear definition because then you can actually have a good conversation. Yeah, people often, won't even do that. Yeah, often I th you find that you're, you're arguing things that, that aren't even, they don't even mean the same things. I remember I had a conversation with a guy who told me he was a Democrat, he was on the left, and he said he was pro-choice. And, and I, so we were talking for a while about this and eventually got to the point where he was, he, his definition in his mind of being pro-choice was, look, I, I, I don't like abortion, but I, I can't have any abortion. I, I, there has to be exceptions for rape and incest. And, and at the time, this is, you know, George Bush's, George W. Bush's at the end of his presidency. And I'm like, that's actually George W. Bush's position on mm -hmm. abortion. Like you are much more pro-life than you think you are, right. even though we might not agree on every detail here. People don't get in these little cocoons and they don't want to, uh, to, to change their identity. So much of this stuff, I think, becomes an identity. People believe- It's a religion. I, yeah, it's a religion. I am pro-choice. And anything that shakes me from that is scary. You know, just like if you were to be shaken from Christianity or some re religious belief, that is not an easy experience for people to go through. No, and it's interesting you bring that up. I was on a, a couple of years ago, I was on my way to an event. I was in a suit and I look nice. And the Uber driver, she's this Hispanic woman. She says, you know, what do you do? You look nice. I'm like, oh, I work in politics. This is in LA. And she mm. says, oh my goodness, that's so good that we have young people getting Trump out of office. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, right. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, all right, for sure. <laughs> but I start talking to this lady because, you know, I was going to an event and it's kind of inspiration when I talked to someone beforehand. Mm -hmm. And she was against affirmative action. She, was, she wanted fathers in the homes and she was a school teacher, an elementary school teacher, and she didn't want transgender bathrooms put into her school mm. and it was like all of these things this lady talked about were conservative principles or at least freedom principles but she said that she was on the left and that she hated conservatives and so that's why it's like imagine if I went in there with an attitude of saying well here's what conservatives really believe and you have to understand this and like battle against your points versus just coming in and saying well what do you think about this and then realizing that she is actually way more conservative than she let off and uh, it was able to change your mind just in a short Uber ride. Yeah, well, so much of that is that moment. It's that reveal moment. It's that right. awakening moment. And we know this from, you know, watching movies, right? You know, if The Sixth Sense, they just said, by the way, Bruce Willis is actually not there. No one else can see him. It <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be interesting. But it's that moment you're like, oh, my gosh, Bruce, this whole time, Bruce Willis has been invisible to everyone else. That moment is what reminds, what, what makes that movie memorable right. and that moment of transition that moment of awakening for someone who's seeing these things for the first time probably has never given a conservative idea a real chance that is what's powerful it's not you making the great point mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'll talk to a lot of people about issues going and talking to them and they they won't even know i'm conservative by the end of it yeah. you know i'll ask them questions and change their mind on something and they won't even know that you know i'm a trump supporter republican concert like they won't even know any of that mm. but they had their mind changed on the issue and i think that's the power of asking questions and also self-education. When you have the persuasion tactics and the questions, that's great that you can start having those conversations, but then have the self-education where you have done the research so that you can lead people to an answer that you think is right in your head. Mm. Let's go through a few of these because you have them sure. broken up by chapter and uh -huh. you go through the arguments. Um, the Second Amendment is an interesting one. I, I was uh, born in New York. I grew up in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I like guns were just not part of the equation. People right. just don't, you right. know, you never even thought of it. Right. Uh, and so it was something that I think a lot of people who, who I lived around 
when they hear when they hear about people saying you know guns should be legal and people should have them, it's so foreign to them. Yeah. You know, how do you take someone who's you know just not a gun person and talk them into the Second Amendment as, as a real freedom? Yeah. A first first thing on definitions, asking them if they know what the Second Amendment is, because <laughs> right, yeah. most people don't. Yeah. They don't even really even know what it means. Then going in, I like to start out with the Second Amendment as I outline in the book, and starting on the concept of a good guy with a gun and whether or not people believe in that concept, you know, mm. like the Texas church shooter. And you can bring up that example in a question and be sure. like, have you heard of this? Uh, there was a shooter in Texas and some guy who was in the audience was able to save everyone because he stopped them. And bringing up examples like that. And then v more bringing up about mass shootings. Did you know that 92% of mass shootings actually happen in gun-free zones? And so you're able to work through with these facts about the Second Amendment to just say, hey, this is common sense. This saves lives. Did you know that uh, that that people use guns defensively three million times a year? What do you think about that? You know, to keep themselves safe, things like that. And so you're asking a question and saying, "Oh well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was true." And yeah. then they 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 don't really know how to answer after that. And so you're able to change minds that way. I think it becomes, on the Second Amendment, it becomes such a uh, people just get in their little their little silos. They just believe they're against guns because right. their candidates believe that. Right. They say those things. They don't. But they realize in their own mind that if they were in a situation where someone broke into their house and they were experiencing it and wanted to protect their kids, they would want to have a gun to be able to do that. Um, abortion's another one. Abortion's tough. It's probably the most difficult one uh, because it has become... The left has been incredibly successful, I think, on this yes. one, where they've been able to change the per perception that this is not about someone's life, but it's about women's rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, I'm a conservative. Women have the same rights as everybody else. I, right. You know, we all believe that. Um, but it's been able to be twisted to a point where it's this pro-choice versus pro-life. And the pro-choice side, somehow, with the baby not living, is the, the nice side of this argument. How do you change people's perception of that? It's funny, I actually think that with the right questioning and line of reasoning, abortion can be one of the easiest topics mm. to change people's minds on. Again, if that's depending on how the way you ask it. Sure. I think abortion is like the hardest one to change people's minds on if you're being ag aggressive yes. on it. But if you're doing it the right way, I think it's one of the easier ones. Because taking it down, like I'll, I'll start and I'll break it down and, and say, well, at nine months, the, the fetus has, or the baby has this, right? Mm -hmm. And then they'll say, well, maybe six months is fine for an abortion. And they say, well, at six months it has this. At three months it has this. And then they're like, well, where do you classify it? And I'm like, well, life begins at conception. And so you can break it down all the way through all the steps of, of being within the mother and say, hey, it's a life this entire time and you know that you've won the, the the argument on abortion or at least convince them even if they won't admit it to you mm -hmm. you know you've won if they say well I would never get an abortion but I'm fine with other people doing it right. you know they've won that's like saying you know I would never murder someone but I'm fine if other people go and murder people <laughs> yeah. So you know you've won the argument but again you're right about the left has done a good job and said to, to young women and said you know, you can't say anything else against abortion because then you're anti-women, which is funny. They say no uterus, no opinion. Who decided Roe v. Wade? All men. Yeah. So it, it's, <laughs> it's only if you agree with them that you're not a, or if only if you disagree with them, you're not allowed to have an opinion. That's the way it seems to work. Um, right. Let me do one more here. Uh, climate change. I, you know, I, I had a, a friend who was, who actually worked with us um, mm -hmm. back in New York and she, you know, she's very smart and, and was relatively friendly. Well, wasn't, I wouldn't say a conservative, but relatively friendly to some of the conservative mm -hmm. arguments. What she said to me one night was, look, you, you're, uh, why don't you want the earth to be clean? I mean, I can come with you on low taxes. I can come with you on all this stuff. Why are you anti-environment? I just can't, I can't go with you there. That's, that's the big lie, is that yeah. because we are anti this climate change apocalypse narrative that we are anti-environment. Before I... Uh, 
excuse me, mm -hmm. <laughs> before I actually got into politics, what I wanted to do was I was going to be a large animal vet or a zoologist. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that's been my passion forever is with animals and things. So I care about these types of issues a lot, actually. And so I start with talking to people about, first of all, nuclear energy because I think you can have a really good conversation starting there and yeah. saying, you know, do you know how much waste is actually produced by nuclear energy in this country? It's about the size of a football field. In total, of all time, it's about the size of a football field and, you know, 500 feet high. It's like so small, and people won't know that, or how much less it costs to have nuclear energy, or the space that it, co or that it takes to have nuclear energy. Ask them if they know that to power the entire United States with wind and solar, or just power Texas with wind and solar, it would cost the size of... Harrison County, which is Houston and all its surrounding suburbs, right. you know, and so you can ask them questions like this about the, the actual costs and size of renewable energies, and look, you can even level with them. You would love that renewable energies could work. You would love if wind and solar energy could work, but it's just not in the cards right now. And so asking questions about the actual practicality of those solutions versus nuclear, which has basically been proven to work very well, I think you can actually get a lot done there. Yeah, it always strikes me that you're, you know you're talking to an unserious environmentalist if they won't embrace nuclear energy. Right. It's somewhat, you know, we've had Michael Schellenberger on the program before. Oh, right? he's great. He's he was great. in our documentary, Religion of Green, that we made with PragerU. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. He's great. Such a smart guy. And, yeah. and you know, you, you're immediately open to his arguments because of the nuclear power thing. You could tell he's serious about it. Right. right? Here's an actual sustainable part piece of, you know, of the energy picture that's not fossil fuels, zero emissions. And the fact that the left fights so hard against it, you, you can tell their argument is not sincere. Right. Well, they look at Chernobyl and they say, oh, well, Chernobyl is yeah. so horrible. And it's like, that was human error. Yeah. It was human error that By the Soviets. Right, exactly. Yeah. You and trust anything and these people do. No, and still, it's still, I mean, look, every death is terrible, but, right. you know, it was a few dozen people who wound up dying in the worst nuclear accident of all time right. with a, a, a completely insane government with no containment facility. That's right. a pretty good record. Uh, we got to leave it there, but the book is, uh, I'm really interested to dig into this. Um, it's called, uh, do we have the, yeah, here we go. How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, Taking on Liberal Arguments with Logic and Humor. Have yourself a copy wherever you get books. I know it's available online, of course, and you can see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this is awesome, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. It's always good to be here. So, the NFL season has begun. We have uh, we have Eagles Cowboys here in Dallas this week, which should be interesting. Everyone here already hates me enough for being an Eagles fan, so this week is it really gets worse, uh, and the Eagles aren't particularly good this year, so it's going to be torture. Uh, but that being said, uh, a lot of people get interested in sports, and they become uh, fans of a particular team. Others wind up just gambling all the time, and the gambling thing is certainly growing quite a bit. Many states, I think it's something like 11 or 12 states, have now legalized sports wagering in the United States, which, to me, very closely equates to, I don't know, freedom and it seems pretty obvious to me that you should not be blocking adults from wagering on sports but you know look there's a states get to do what they what they're going to do texas not not huge fans of it so whenever i'm in las vegas i occasionally will uh, put a sports wager uh, on the table uh, this particular gentleman has uh, put a, a a 25 dollar bet on a 16 team parlay 16 now a parlay for those who are not um, degenerates, uh, basically means you put a wager on a bunch of different things all happening. So if you do a 16-team wager, you have to pick the winner of 16 games. And if you only go 15 out of 16, you lose. 
if you go 16 out of 16, you win a lot. So to give you the exact numbers here, a 16 team parlay, $25 bet was $726,000 of a potential payout. That's a nice payday for picking 16. It seems like you'd be able to do it, doesn't it? 16 games. I mean, eventually I should be able to hit that, right? Well, probably not. This particular uh, guy had a, uh, a $25 bet and he got the first 15 legs of the parlay right. So now he's at a very difficult decision point. If he holds on, it was Detroit, the Detroit uh, Green Bay Packer game. If Detroit wins, he wins $726,000. If Detroit loses, he gets $0. <laughs> okay, so what do you do in this situation? The idea is you would hedge out of that bet. So what you'd want to do essentially is bet money, in theory, on the Packers. So if the Packers uh, win, you still get something. And if the Packers lose, you get the $726,000 and you're only out the amount that you bet on the Packers. Should be nice and easy. Unfortunately, the way this worked out was the Packers were heavy, heavy favorites in the game. So when that happens, it gets really difficult. Basically, this guy would have had to borrow, to make this even, would have needed to borrow $580,000 to bet on, <laughs> on the Packers to try to even this out and basically profit around $100,000 no matter what happened, which would be nice. It's not $700,000, but $100,000 is not chump change either. Now, these sports books that have gone through and they have all these complicated wagering options, they know people do this. They don't, they don't care. I mean, they know they win in the end anyway. But they've been giving these cash-out options. So if you get 15 legs through a 16-team parlay, you can then just press the cash-out button. The cash-out button in this case was $133,000, which is pretty fantastic. It's something you should probably take. But there's a problem. His $25 bet wasn't actually a $25 bet. It was a $25 free bet. When you sign up to sportsbooks, they give you a free $25 bet to put on whatever you want. However, when it's a free bet, you can't cash out of it. So what's going to happen here? What's this guy going to do? Well, if you know the answer uh, to what happened in the game, the Green Bay Packers relatively easily handled the Detroit Lions. So he would have lost the $726,000 bet. However, the casino stepped up and actually let him buy it out early. So he was able to pocket $133,000 pre-tax uh, for hitting 15 out of 16 bets in a parlay. I got to say it's a pretty good option. Pretty good outcome for the guy. I'm excited he didn't get zero. You would be in so much stress trying to figure out what the right thing to do here in this situation is. And of course, the Detroit Lions... I, why would you would think the Detroit Lions were going to win that game in the first place? I don't know. But congratulations to the guy, $133,000 richer. Now, you would have to do what I just discussed with you approximately one million times to pay for any chunk of the new Democratic spending bill. They want $3.5 trillion. Now, to be fair, this is down from Bernie Sanders' ask of $6 trillion. This is what AOC wants. This is what Bernie wants, $6 trillion. Pelosi is, is now trying to navigate these waters with um, what's going on in the House because the Senate, you've got moderates there who, quote unquote, moderates who say, look, we'll spend the one point two trillion dollars on infrastructure and we'll spend something on this other bill, which they only need 50 votes for. But I'm not spending three point five trillion dollars. You're going to have to lower that to something like one trillion or one point five trillion. Well, that's 
making the AOCs of the world just go completely bonkers. Like they can't believe they only want to spend $2.5 trillion total when we're asking for $4.7 trillion. That's absolutely off the table. Here's Nancy trying to uh, navigate these waters after about 14 Jack and Diets. This is not about price tag. This is about what's in the bill. Mm. What's in the bill? What's in the bill? For children, what's in the bill? Mm -hmm. Universal pre-K, child care, child, child tax credit, family medical leave for their mm. family. Family medical leave. Protecting the planet for them. It's about specific legislation. How much does that cost? Mm. How do we pay for it? Right. It's about the climate issues, as I ended on that, on the climate issues in terms of using the tax code uh, to uh, to stimulate the business aspects of this aspects. to meet the emissions goals. And that's part of how we make some decisions in there. Do, do these, does this use of the tax cut help meet the president's emission goals that we have as a nation? What? So it, it's a... It's not about a, a price tag or anything. It's about values, not dollars. <laughs> there you go. I love that spin. Now, it's easy to sit back as a conservative and say, oh, yeah, right. It's about values. We know it's about the trillions and trillions of dollars. And of course, that's true. But it is important to note that the actual dollar figure is less important than the real value here, which is them controlling more of your life, more of the economy, more of this country and how it works. That's the value. That's the underlying value here. That's the important thing. And when you try to talk about trillions and trillions of dollars, yes, it's going to blow out our finances for years and years to come. But it is uh, deeper than that. And you look at Nancy Pelosi, by the way, what is happening? <laughs> she seems like she's melting. What, what, is <laughs> what is going on? I don't even know who is... Who is more senile? Is it her or Joe Biden at this point? I don't even know. Uh, Biden, by the way, was sitting with Boris Johnson and they, you know, you've seen these press conferences a million times. And one leader comes out, he takes some questions from from his country's media, who is there covering the event. And they're always like internal issues that you don't know anything about. And you're waiting for your guy to start talking because there's some controversial issue they're supposed to talk about. And so you wade through like whatever's going on in, in the UK. And then you come to Joe Biden to take questions. Well, when Boris Johnson was done, and it was time for Joe Biden to take some questions. This is what it looked like. That's the... You have journalists sitting there screaming questions. You have Biden's aides saying, please leave, get out of here before he answers a question. And then you have Joe Biden just staring off into the middle of oblivion as if he's seeing like a, an invisible sloth walk in front of him. It really is a very strange world we live in. By the way, if you wanted to get a, uh, a new T-shirt from uh, about Joe Biden, senility now is one you might want to remember. Uh, <laughs> Because if you need your senility, Joe's got it for you. And he's got it right now. By the way, Jen Psaki tried to justify what happened at that press conference with, the, with Boris Johnson. Here was her bizarre excuse. The British Prime Minister in the American Oval Office called on British reporters. And then when American reporters tried to call on the American president, we were escorted out. Let's put it that way. Well, I think... 
uh, in that circumstance. And, and I think our relationship mm -hmm. with the United Kingdom and with Prime Minister Johnson is so strong and abiding, we will be able to move forward beyond this. But uh, he called on individuals uh, from his press corps uh, without alerting us to that intention in advance. Oh, God forbid a world leader would be able to answer some questions without everyone on earth being alerted in advance. Shouldn't he have mastery of these issues? Isn't that the whole point of this? But they're terrified. They're terrified. Um, there's a new book out called Peril. It's the uh, Bob Woodward, Robert Costa book. Um, you know, and this is, you ask me, why, Stu? Why would I tune into your stupid little show? I do these things for you. I have been reading this book so you know what's in it. Do you think I want to read this book? No. I'm doing this for you. I'm sacrificing for you. And what do I ask in return? A five-star review. You know, share the show occasionally. I don't know. I'm wading through a freaking Bob Woodward book, and all I'm asking for you to click is the fifth star? Seems like a great deal for you, frankly. Um, but they, uh, there's a, uh, a new... Uh, a new there's a bunch of nuggets in the book there's actually some pretty interesting ones in there we'll get into them here in the in the coming days um but biden has apparently at, at one part in the book which i have not i had not got to this did not get to this point in the book yet but he called trump an effing a-hole because trump put in like a, a a golf simulator in the white house and he's all pissed off about it joe biden <laughs> well probably what happened is he thought it was a window he probably walked right into it poor guy He's like, oh, I gotta go outside in this window. We got a golf course here now, and then he banged his head into the screen. That's not right for Trump to do. I don't even know if Trump was playing golf there. He just just screwing with Biden. Back in a second. If you're following me on Facebook and you're not seeing you know, a lot of the content that we're doing, this happens all the time. It's because of those evil tech companies. You know them, evil. Luckily, I have a secret solution. Uh, just go on Facebook, uh, click follow or hold it down if you're on your phone. And there is a menu that lets you mark me, Stu, Stu Bergier, as one of your favorite pages. And why wouldn't you do that? I'm obviously one of your favorite people. I'm, I'm, I'm within the top million favorites somewhere in there. Go ahead and add me to that list uh, and you'll be able to see our content. Plus, you can uh, comment on the show. If you do that and we see your comment, we will uh, do some of our favorite comments on the program tomorrow. Uh, so don't miss it on Facebook. Okay, let's head over to San Francisco. The mayor, I've noticed something crazy with the mayor, the whole mayor fiasco where she goes to this club. If you missed her explanation as to why she wasn't wearing a mask after she passed rules about wearing a mask indoors, let me refresh your memory. I had a good time at the Black Cat. Oh, that's good. And I think it's sad that um, this is even a story. It is sad. Um, the fact is um, there was something that was really um, monumental that occurred. Oh, really? And what? that is Tony, Tony, Tony. The original members, the brothers, oh. Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins, D who D have not performed in oh. public for, I believe, at least over 20 years. Wow. They are just really um, some of the most incredible artists yeah. in yeah. the history of this country and the Bay Area in particular. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that Amen. is getting lost here is very <laughs> unfortunate. Not to mention just a global the incredible pandemic. trumpeteer. Maurice Mobetta Mo Brown. I mean, Mobetta Brown who was there. Who is just phenomenal. These mm -hmm. incredible musicians. 
who performed. Yes. And who really uplifted the spirits of not just myself. Not just yourself. But all of the people who were there. Everybody. I was sitting at my table and when... I don't know about you and whether or not you know who Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but if you know who they are, I don't care where you're sitting. You're going to get up yeah. and start dancing. My drink was sitting at the table. Mm -hmm. I got up and started dancing because I was feeling the spirit and I wasn't thinking about a mask. Who needs a vaccine when you have Mo Betta Brown? That's the real cure for COVID. We now have footage from inside the black cat when Tony, Tony, Tony was there. Have you seen the footage yet? Let's watch. Here they are. They're dancing. That's probably Mo Better Brown and probably Raphael Sadiq. And then, I mean, that's a good song. Or a cat is being tortured. I mean, can you, you would have got up too. Look at her dancing. She's not even thinking about her mask. COVID is cured, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, all right, that's enough of that. Uh, one thing I did notice there is, did you notice the guy closer to the camera? I swear, was that, do we have a picture of him isolated? This guy here, is that, I tell me, is that the guy who played Michael Bolton from Office Space? I think he's there. Michael Bolton from Office Space was at the Tony, Tony, Tony concert. I hope he's okay. That could have been a super spreader event. You got the mayor just breathing her droplets all over the place. Tony, Tony, Tony's in danger. Michael Bolton's in danger. The whole world's in danger here. You know, boys and girls, I don't know if you've heard this from Anthony Fauci, but Raphael Sadiq is not a cure, okay? You're not supposed to take horse dewormer and you're not supposed to take Raphael Sadiq to cure coronavirus. I want you to know that, boys and girls. It's important. It's science. And please, if anyone knows the whereabouts of Michael Bolton from Office Place, please let us know. We want to know he's okay. Back in a second. All right, HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. Hunter Biden Laptop Case. Dot com. You know you need it in your life. Okay, you can get every show for free on Facebook. Make sure to check it out over there and uh, follow the show. This comment came in on yesterday's show. Putting diaper Joe in charge of anything is like trusting Anthony Weiner with your teenage daughters. That's uh, not uh, just in case you have a teenage daughter. That's not something you want to do. But we do appreciate their comments. Make sure to get them in. You can comment uh, live on the show as we go. Um, also, uh, you can review the program if you're listening on audio. Uh, Spotify is a big one now, I know. Make sure to give us five stars. That's the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in. Great show. I was looking for a podcast to give me weight loss tips for my pet raccoon when I discovered your show. Now me and Rocky have something to listen to as we wash our dinner in the creek. Five freaking stars. By the way, it should be Rocky and I. Rocky and I. We really appreciate you giving the reviews. Uh, whenever you can do that, it does make a difference to us. And it not only does it help our podcast, but it hurts other podcasts. And that is the most important thing. Okay, so here's what happened. Boston is having some issues. Apparently, no one wants to work anymore. So, and you know, I don't know. I, I mean, the bus drivers I had when I, when I was a kid, 
they were very nice and everything, but maybe it's not the greatest job of all time. You got a bunch of germ infested kids around. You're, they're all throwing stuff at you probably. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the greatest gig in the world. And I don't think it's like, you know, Elon Musk level cash coming in. So people are like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my unemployment money. I'm going to sit at home. So they don't have any bus drivers. They don't have any buses. They're having issues with this. So there was a big, important school field trip. What were the people in Boston going to do for these wonderful kids? Finally, they were able to solve the problem. A party bus with stripper poles. Yay, we did it, everybody. Yes, it's true. A party bus with stripper poles. Did they get to the freaking field trip? Yes, they did. The overly sensitive might be wringing their hands a little bit, but you know what? The world needs party bus strippers, and if one of the children found a new career on this field trip, I mean, don't let your dreams get away from you, kids.